Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Today, we're going to conclude our series that we've been in the last few weeks, a relationship series called It's Complicated, but it doesn't have to be. Like, it's complicated. There, there's a lot of complicated relationships in life. And I've, I've given you the opportunity the first two weeks, so I'm going to give you one more opportunity. If you have ever been uh, in a complicated relationship ever in your life, I want you to raise your hand. Okay, so again, this week, we have either liars or the best relationship people in the history of the world. And I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But the idea is like, so many of us, we would readily admit like we've been in some complicated relationships, whether that's family dynamics, marriages with our kids or parents, our in-laws or friendships or coworkers or church, not this church, other church people, you know, and, but just so many complicated relationships But I am thankful that these first two weeks, what we've been able to do is go to God's word and we've looked at 10 different stories in scripture that had complicated relationships and we've gleaned just wisdom and understanding of what God would have us to do in the midst of those complicated relationships. And it's been a great reminder that we don't have to do this on our own. Like God is not just saying like, hey, just go figure it out. He gives to us wisdom from his word and he speaks to us through the Holy Spirit to help us to understand how to navigate the things that we would face in our life, including complicated relationships. And so today I wanna go to a story that is probably familiar to most of us. If it's not, that's okay to, for you. But many of us were familiar with this story and, and, I, and I've preached out of this passage a number of times over the years. I actually preached out of this passage like two Father's Days ago. And, but as I was praying about our, our time together in this series, I was thinking about where we should land. And I really felt like this was the story that encapsulated so much of what we want to learn about complicated relationships. But here's what I know. For those that know this story, you've heard this story, you're familiar with this story, there is a temptation that as soon as I tell you what it is, you're gonna kind of turn it off, tune it out, start thinking about the game tonight or what you're gonna eat for lunch or you know, just skip ahead to what I might say in a few minutes. So here's what I want you to do. Everybody raise your right hand. Raise your right hand. And you say, repeat after me, Pastor Jeremy, I promise I'm gonna pay attention. I'm not gonna tune you out. I'm not gonna assume I know what you're gonna say. I'm asking the Lord to speak into my heart. Amen, Jesus, amen. Okay, so like all I'm saying is like I just want you to really focus in for the next few minutes about what God may speak to us out of Luke chapter 15. If you got a Bible there, go with me to Luke 15. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a free Bible. They're available at the Information Center. You can also utilize an app. This year, one of the things that we wanna do is go deeper in God's word. And so I encourage you to bring your Bible with you each Sunday so that you can follow along and maybe the Lord can uh, speak specific things to you. This is the ending of Luke 15, and so it's three stories together. There's a lost coin, there's lost sheep, and then what could be called the lost son, but it's called the prodigal son. And so the story of the lost coin is that, you know, this this woman had five coins and she loses one, so she kind of tears the house apart, finds it, celebration. There's 100 sheep, 99 are with them, uh, with the shepherd, one is lost, and so he goes after the one that is lost and brings it back into the fold. And now we come to this story of the lost or prodigal son. And so we're going to to read here some things that, again, you may be familiar with or you may be able to connect the dots very quickly. So I just wanna go ahead and kind of bring it towards the end of the story and then work backwards. Like there are things in this story that you can identify with among the younger brother, the older brother, and potentially even the father. 
But I think for all of us, if we're committed, but since obviously none of us have ever now heard this story, we've committed to that. But if we're all committed to that today, we would also recognize that there's parts of all of these characters that we could identify with. Like we're, we, we don't just play one part in this story. We actually have all of the parts that potentially speak to us, challenge us, and help us to be equipped in complicated relationships. So Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11, we'll read a few verses, we'll stop talking, and then go again. It says this, to illustrate the point further. So stop right there just for a second. We won't stop this often, but remembering that there were two other stories right before this, he is telling the same truth. He's trying to help us to understand something about the character and the nature of God and the character or nature of heaven and the celebration that takes place in these types of stories. So to illustrate this point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, this story, again, if you envision, if you kind of imagine it playing out, Jesus is telling this story. So imagine a father sitting at a breakfast table with two boys, two sons, teenage, young adult-ish sons. And I don't know if it had been building to this point, doesn't really matter. Don't know if this was the first time it had ever been kind of the subject had ever been broached. But as Jesus is telling us this story to illustrate a point and to teach us a lesson, he says that the youngest of the two sons say to the dad, I want what's mine. I want my part of your inheritance. I want my part of your wealth. And so then the father agrees. Now, in our current culture, in our current kind of reality, it is possible for you to take some of your inheritance, some of your wealth, and pass it on to your children even before you die. And maybe you have to pay some penalties or some taxes, or maybe there's some things you can do to kind of work through that. But in this culture, that was not something that they would do. Because the father, the oldest male in a specific generation, would hold all the wealth And then he would take that wealth and use it to provide for all of the extended family that were under his care. And then when he died, his wealth, his inheritance was then distributed to the male members of the generation below him. So in this case, there were two. The youngest son would have gotten one third of the inheritance and the oldest son have gotten two thirds, not because he was loved more, but because then he would take on the responsibility to care for the extended family. So they got an even distribution of one third apiece and the other third was given to the oldest son so that he could then distribute it and care for the extended family. And so that's how it would have worked. And so now what we assume based on this conversation is that the father hears the request from the son and what the son was actually saying is, I don't want a relationship with you. I don't want to continue in life with you. I don't want to continue sitting at tables like this with you. I don't want anything that you have for me except what you can give to me. And so I want what's mine and I'm leaving. And like, I just got to say, and three of our four kids are sitting on the front row. If if our kids came to me at the breakfast table and said that, I'd have been like, you crazy, eat your cereal, just keep eating. I mean, like, that's not what I'm going to do. But it says that the father agreed. Like there are times as parents, we recognize and, and our, the age of our kids, some of you, your kids are much older and you've, you've kind of lived this, this road already. Some of you with younger children, you don't yet have children. You're trying to figure out like, how do you navigate this portion of life as your kids start making decisions or requesting things or doing things that, man, you just wish they wouldn't do. How do you navigate holding the two tensions of your responsibility as a parent and releasing them with their own free will into the life that they're choosing? You just... Continue to invest good things and hope and pray that God holds those things in their heart and that that's what keeps them on the straight path in his plans. But the father agrees. 
The father allows for him to take what's his, so he divides it among his boys and he holds on to what's the oldest son's and he gives to the youngest son what is his. And I'm telling you, like, there's a challenge and a tension that happens in this kind of moment of parenting. I've told this story before, but a number of years ago when our kids were much younger, Corey and I were in a small group with some other parents. And one of the ladies, one of the moms in that small group, she said, I want my kids to learn everything I've ever learned about God, but I want them to avoid all the pain that taught me those lessons. And it's like, oh, that's the reality. That's what we want. That's what we're hoping for. But I've just got to trust that God will keep them like he kept me and God will stir up in them the truth that has been deposited into their life. And so the father allows him to go. And this is what we read in verse 13. A few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings and he moved to a distant country and there he wasted all his money in wild living. It actually took a few days for the dad, I don't know, to go to the bank, to sell off the cattle, whatever it was, to get the possessions, to give the youngest son the third that was his that he had asked for. You talk about complication. Somebody says, I want what's mine and I'm leaving and now it takes a few days to hang around waiting on this to become the reality. A few days later, he now packs up all of his belongings. He doesn't even leave a few things in his childhood bedroom for when he comes home for Christmas. He says, I ain't never coming back home. I'm leaving this place. I'm taking everything that's mine and I'm leaving it and I'm never coming back. He's trying to sever the relationship completely. How painful would this have been for the father? Like just, I mean, so much complication here. And not only does he take all his stuff, it's not like he just moves down the road to an apartment complex nearby. He moves to a distant country, a distant land. He leaves that place. He's like, I want to get as far away from you as I possibly can. And then there's a foreshadowing of what's to come. He says, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. Like it, that, that's, that's really tough to think about, that there was so much complication here. Whatever the story was, whatever was happening, this younger son felt like he had to go and find something somewhere else that was missing in his home. And so he leaves and he wastes it. And man, he was having fun right up until the time that it wasn't fun anymore. Look at this in verse 14. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Now, when I read this, I, I recognize that perhaps because of where we live, it's not too difficult to imagine that someone who maybe ends up out of work or needs some extra cash or what, just kind of goes to a local farm and says, hey, can I help? That's what happened. He starts starving. He's out of money. He's run out of everything. So he goes to a local farmer. Hey, can I just help? Can I be one of the farm hands? Can I do some things around here just to get some? That's not something that's like a really crazy thought to any of us because of where we live. And it wouldn't have been a crazy thought to the listeners of this story as Jesus is telling this in Luke chapter 15. What would have been difficult for them to comprehend is that this young man was starving so much, searching so much, like so just completely disconnected from everything that he had been raised in that he finds himself in the pig pen. Pigs were unclean. Like he's now so far removed from what he's been taught and what's been modeled for him. And like he's so disconnected from that that now he's finding himself in this pig slop in a place of unclean willing to and, and longing to even eat the pods that these unclean pigs were being fed. And nobody in their right mind would have gone back to the breakfast table and convinced that young man that that's where this story was gonna end up. But that's what happens in sin, isn't it? I mean, because we're convinced 
when we're on this side of sin, when we're on this side of bad decisions, when we're on this side of trying to determine what our life's gonna look like and how much control we want, we're convinced over here that we're going to be the kind of person that can keep it all together. We can make decisions and we can do little things, but it's not that we jump from this table into the pig slop. We just compromise one little piece at a time, one decision at a time, one little slip of our character, one little untruth, one bad relationship, and one at a time, and one at a time, and over and over again, until we get to a place and we can't figure out how we got here. The book of James in the New Testament says that we are led astray by our own sinful desires. There are things on the inside of us the sinful flesh. And that's why when we're reading in the New Testament about the work of the Holy Spirit, if we are not to allow our flesh to control us, but to be controlled by the Spirit of God, those are the kinds of things with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control through the power of God that keeps us from ever getting there. It doesn't mean you might not make a bad decision. You're going to. You're human. You make a bad decision, you slip up here or there. That's not to give you the right to do that, but it's to recognize that in that moment, there should be something that rises up in your spirit because of the work of God that says, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You need to, you need to check yourself. This leads there. Like you may not see it, you may be convinced you're strong enough on your own, but the power of your flesh is not strong enough to keep you from that. The only thing strong enough to keep you from there is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. I'm preaching better than you're talking back. We're gonna be here all day. I'm just telling you, you're gonna miss kickoff later. So it's like Jesus in the first sermon he ever preached in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. What did he say? He said, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. I say, don't even have anger in your heart. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I'm saying, don't even have lust in your heart. What is he telling to us? There is a path that leads to destruction. There is a path that gets you from the breakfast table to the pig slop, and if, if you recognize that it leads there, don't even get on that road. Don't even make one little compromising decision. When you recognize that you've made one little compromising decision, repent immediately. Turn your heart to God. Admit to him that you've done wrong and ask him to help to lead and guide and control you again and let the spirit of God lead you into wisdom. And so like that's what we're asking God to do in and through our hearts. Like God, don't let me ever end up in this place. The story of Samson in the Old Testament, there's no chance, you cannot convince me that Samson ever would have shown up on day one with Delilah and said, cut off all my hair and let me break the covenant that God has given to me and my family and called me apart from birth. But there's like 39 things before that that he does to compromise himself. And he ends up in a place where he is willing to, to give her the secret to his strength and the power. Like nobody wants to end up in destruction. Nobody wants to end up in the pig slop. Nobody wants to end up in that. But the enemy is cunning. The the, the serpent tricks and deceives and he distorts. And he seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so if you are listening to any temptation from the enemy, just know it always ends up worse than you imagine. Because what happens is when we leave the pleasure of the house of God, when we leave the safety of the relationship with God and we leave him out of our lives and we choose to do things our own way instead of his, enjoyment will eventually become enslavement. It will eventually become enslavement. You will end up in a place you never thought you would end up. 
Enjoyment will eventually become enslavement. As I was preparing today, and I've used this quote a number of times, I have tried to find a way to attribute this to someone else. I've looked and Googled it, and I can find two or three options. I find people that quote other people and attribute it to them, but when I go to that person, they say it might be somebody else. And so I'm just gonna tell you something, and if you like it, you just say it was me. I made it up. Okay, so I tried. This is not me. I've heard this all of my life. Sin will take you further than you wanna go. It'll cost you more than you wanna pay and it will keep you longer than you want to stay. Every single time. Every single time. Some of you, that's your story. That's your testimony. You're the younger son. You never thought you would end up where you ended up. You never thought it would cost you all that it cost you, but it did. And and there came a moment somewhere at some point in time, perhaps, that you recognize the error of your ways. That's what happens here. Look at this in verse 17. When he finally came to his senses. Let me just stop for a second. If you are a prodigal son or daughter, mom or dad, young adult or senior adult, if you're a pro, I, I'm praying that the first thing that happens is today you come to your senses. That there's just a moment of revelation, like how in the world did I get here? Like what, what happened to get me here? If you're the parent, family member or friend of a prodigal, let's just agree together that they would come to their senses today that they're sitting in a house or driving in a car, they're on their job or they're at a restaurant, they're somewhere and the work of the Holy Spirit just kind of moves into that room, moves into that house, moves onto that job site, fills that car. There's a random conversation, a word spoken, a song that comes on, something that happens and it triggers something in their mind and they come to their senses. I believe God can do that. I have enough faith to believe that he can because he's done it before And so this prodigal son finally comes to his senses and he says to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. He had gotten so far removed from the father's house that he was willing to forfeit sonship for servanthood just to get back home. He was willing to give everything else away just to try to be accepted back. He recognized that the distant land was not where he belonged, but he belonged at home with the Father. And sometimes the presence of sin in our lives, it causes our identity to become skewed. And in this case, by shame, he makes this declaration to himself, I'm no longer worthy to be called son. But can I remind you of a great truth today? You and I don't get to decide that. Only the father gets to. I didn't get to choose to be the son of my father, right? And so only the father gets to decide sonship and daughter. Like he's the only one. You don't get to take that away. And so no matter if it's shame or guilt or condemnation, no matter how many bad decisions you've made in your life, like don't allow the enemy to distort the truth to believe that you are too far gone from the grace of God that you are too far gone to be redeemed and restored into the family of God. And so while initially he was saying to his father, give me what is mine, in his state of brokenness, he comes back home to say, would you take me back in? Would you take me back in? Verse 20, so he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And the father stopped him right 
there in the midst of his speech. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. Running in that culture was not something that you do, right? Some of you are runners. I'm not. I don't run really on purpose for any reason, but unless we're going to the buffet at the same time and there's only one plate left, you know, and but the father ran to the son. The son took all of his possessions and he walked away from the house. He finds himself in a distant country, squandering all that he had been given on wild living. It's complicated. I'm not trying to tell you how to respond to your prodigal sons and daughters. I'm not telling you how to respond to people in your life that have hurt you, said mean and hurtful things and abandoned you and betrayed you. I'm not gonna try to tell you in any way how you should respond. I'm just going to remind us of how the father responded here. Filled with love and compassion, he ran. If you wanna think about a really difficult separation, something more difficult than the father and the son in this story is the separation of us to a loving God, that separation being sin. And here's what happens. Like, because of our sinful nature, because of who we are to our core, again, I've referenced it, but the James says, like, we're drawn away by our sinful desires. Like, it's just in us. Nobody has to teach us from birth. My dad used to say that about children, like, from a pretty early age, like, they intuitively know how to lie and take things and mine, mine, like, hold, like, nobody has to teach us that. Like, that's just kind of in our flesh, in our nature. And so there is this sin separation, and some of that becomes larger and larger and larger as we go. But sin in and of itself is not telling a little white lie. You don't just build sin upon sin upon sin. Sin is the separation from God. And so the moment that we are apart from God and we come to our senses, that's complicated. Because how do we get back to the Father? Like coming to our senses is one thing, but the moment that we acknowledge it, the moment that our heart shifts at all to say like, I recognize, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. You don't have to run to the Father. The Father's already run to you. Romans chapter five, verse eight, I quote it all the time, that God demonstrates his love to us in this, that while we were yet sinned, while we were in the pig slop, Jesus Christ died for us. He had already run. He had already come to the earth sinless and blameless, but a perfect spotless sacrifice that was required. God spanned the gap through his son, Jesus Christ. He ran to us. He loved us first. He initiated first. We only love because he first loved us. And so God spanned that gap. The father runs to us. He gives to us grace and mercy and compassion and love. He runs to the son. And I'm so thankful that God does that. I'm so thankful that we're not required or even able to build our way back to God through good works and good deeds. I'm thankful. Some of us have been trapped in that. We're gonna talk about it in a second. But I'm so thankful that God demonstrated his love, that he moved first, that he runs to us as soon as we acknowledge our need for him. He's already right there. I'm so thankful for that. Verse 22, but his father said to his servants, he had cut his son off, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. Isn't it interesting that the son thought he had to leave the house to find the party? And the party was with the father all along. 
so many of us have become convinced through our distortion and desires that we have to leave the house of the Father to find something we're missing. And what scripture says to us is that he desires to give us life and he desires to give us life to the full, life of abundance. But the enemy has convinced us that we will always be lacking unless we leave the Father. And that's what sin is, we are enticed away. We are pulled away, we are called away. How many things was the son looking for? I don't know, I've made a list here. He was looking for clothes and stature and jewelry and friends and celebration and love and acceptance and an assurance of his future. And all of those things were provided by the father when he came back home. He put clothes on him, he put jewelry on him. They had a party as he fed him in in the starving stomach. He brought him abundance. All he needed was like a plate of rice. His stomach probably couldn't even handle. He brought the fatted calf to the table because that's what the father does. The father is a father of abundance and he gives to us even beyond what we can imagine or desire in our own lives. You do not have to go looking elsewhere to find everything that you need in life. It's found in the father's house. And so it it requires of us, if you are a prodigal of some kind, if you are a searching, wandering type of personality and you're always looking over and trying to find the next best thing, it requires us to evaluate this question. What is my view of God? What is my view of God? Because if I view God in a certain way, I will always feel like I'm lacking something unless I leave. But if I view God as a loving heavenly father who desires good gifts, who wants the best for you, who loves you unconditionally, who forgives and is gracious, why would you ever want to run away from him? Why would you ever want to run away from him? But if you view God as mean and judgmental and controlling, if you view him as the puppet master just dictating all of your decisions and all of your things, then perhaps it makes sense that you would feel like you've got to look elsewhere. So what is your view of the Father? But it's not just wild living that makes us lost. Look at this in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And then when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told. And your father's killed the fatted calf. And we're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. And his father came out and he begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat. Every time I read that, I giggle. If my dad gave me a young goat, I would assume he's mad at me. (laughs) You never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. There's a different response here from the older son than the younger son. The younger son was kind of blowing through his inheritance, but the older son stayed home and he worked the fields and he was diligent and he was faithful. Where the younger son was kind of characterized by shame, the older son is characterized by pride. He feels like he's earned some things because he stayed, he was faithful, he was dedicated. And now out of that pride and self-righteousness and arrogance and frustration and anger in the complicated relationship that he now has or probably has always had in some form with his younger brother, he wouldn't even go inside the house. He despised his father. And so much so in the complication of this relationship, when he's referring to his brother, he won't even call him his brother. He said, this other son of yours, complicated relationships. 
Maybe you can identify with that in a, in a sibling relationship or somebody else in your life that you feel like, man, they've just given chance after chance after chance. And you've kind of stood your ground and you've been steady and faithful. You're owed something. Why don't people recognize the goodness that's in your heart and in your life? And you're looking for some type of affirmation that you feel like is missing. But the father is begging you to do the same thing. Come into the house. Be in the party. Like we're celebrating to come and be a part of this. You get to eat the food. You get to be a part of the celebration. The father desired for him to be close. Verse 31, his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. He's reaffirming that everything that is rightfully his is still his. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but is now found. There's a reminder in this part of the story that proximity does not automatically equal intimacy. The older brother stayed close, but he did not have the heart of the father. He stayed close. He was in the field. He probably slept in the same house, but there was something missing, and it was the relationship. There was a sense of duty. There was a sense of proximity again, but, but like there was not the heart of the father in him. He was merely going through the motions and some of you that are in the room right now, some of you that are watching online perhaps, you, kinda, you just more identify perhaps with the older brother. Maybe your story's never been one of wandering off. Maybe your story's never been one of searching and squandering all the, maybe that's not really been your story. That doesn't make you better or worse than anybody else in the world, but it still requires us to check our heart. Like, are we using church and religion and serving and giving and, and, and faithful good deeds and good works as a way to feel like that God owes us something? Like, God, do you not notice? Like, it rained today and I'm here. Hello. Right? I mean, like, it's a littler coffee cup here. Like, they, they, I'm gonna get two cups. Like, they, like, do you not see that I'm here, Lord? Like, don't you notice? I mean, I... I'm, I'm giving and serving. And I've been faith. Have you, have you noticed all these other, what else they're doing? And we judge other people based on their actions. We judge ourselves based on our motives. And we just, rec- like, I'm, I'm better than them. I'm, I'm doing things the right way. And they've kind of missed the mark. And God, do you not notice? Do you not recognize how good I am and the things that are taking place? And like, like do you not see? If you're the older brother, the same question applies. What is your view of God? Is he a genie in a bottle that is required to grant you wishes? Does he owe you because you've been so good? Is he required to respond to your good deeds and good works that have stored up for you potentially these treasures in heaven you assume? Is he the school teacher with the gold star affirming that you give all the right answers because you always know what to say? Let me remind all of us, prodigals, those who stayed in the field and those who wandered off. Let me remind us of the words of Isaiah chapter 64 and verse six. We are all infected and impure with sin. And when we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. All of us are impure and infected with sin. That that should not tear us down today. It should remind us of the goodness of God that he knew that and he initiated love and he moved first and he is gracious and merciful and loving and kind. He knows that no matter how good we try to be, 
we're still gonna fall short. And so he spanned the gap. The only righteousness that we have is the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ and the completed work of the cross. There is no other righteousness and anything we try to do is as filthy rags. It's, it, it's nasty, it, it defiles God and his character and his holiness. And so we can't even offer it and present it to him because it is worth nothing. And so all of us are left with one choice and it's found two verses later in Isaiah 64 when he says this, yet you Lord are our father. We are clay and you are the potter and we are all the work of your hand. Are we willing to put ourselves in the hands of the Father and say, shape me, mold me, cleanse me of all unrighteousness, take away my shame for the things that I've done in my past, but take away my pride for the things that I think I deserve from you. Tear away those parts of my heart that don't reflect your heart Oh, Father. Because both sons approached their relationship with the Father for what he owed them. The younger son at the beginning, all about possessions, a desire for possessions and a pursuit of what he perceived was missing. The older son out of pride and what he perceived that he was owed. And yet all the Father wanted was relationship. He just wanted to put rings on fingers and a cloak around them. He just wanted to kill of the best that he had to present them with an offering and a, a sacrifice and a, and a food of abundance that they could participate in out of his great love for them. The father desires relationship. So sometimes we act like the younger brother. Sometimes we act like the older brother, but we should always reflect the heart of the father every single day, filled with love and compassion that we would forgive and be gracious, that our homes would be places of grace, safe for prodigals to come home, that we would trust God and believe that God is the Father that loves us unconditionally. What is our view of the Father? Let us take on his heart and the mind of Christ in every complicated relationship in our lives. That's what we should do. I'm gonna ask you right where you're at, just to bow your head, close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody's looking around, just a moment of reflection today. Opportunity for you just to ask the Lord what he might speak into your heart or what he's been speaking into your heart. If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I am not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I need him to forgive me and to be my Lord, to lead and guide and direct my life. And I want that to happen today. If that's you, nobody's looking around. I'm just gonna ask you just to lift your hand right where you're at. I wanna pray for you. Thank you so much. Anybody else? You're not alone today. Anybody else? And now if you would say, Jeremy, for me, I just wanna take on the heart of the Father. I wanna be gracious and kind and merciful and loving in all the complicated relationships of my life. I don't wanna be filled with shame or pride. I just wanna reflect the heart of the Father. If that's you, would you lift your hand right where you're at? So many of us today. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. We love you so much. And we thank you for this day, all day long across these three services, times of worship and prayer and your word. And God, we thank you for the decisions that have been made today. And so God, I ask you now to forgive those that have asked you for forgiveness. Be the Lord of their life. And if that's you today, you've made that declaration, you lifted your hand. I encourage you right now just to say, God, I, I confess I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me. We believe that he will. When you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. We believe he'll do that. I encourage you, just make that declaration yourself today.
We celebrate with heaven for those decisions. And so God, we thank you now for every person that's done so. And now God, I just pray for every complicated relationship. I pray for every prodigal filled with shame. I pray for every older brother filled with pride, self-righteousness perhaps, that all of us would continue to position ourselves as just recipients of the grace of the Father. That he invites us in, he desires a relationship with us. God, heal every hurt, every broken place. Restore and redeem every lost relationship. God, let people that are far from you come to their senses, no matter what has drawn them away. God, let us desire to be close to you. God, we thank you that you ran to us. We thank you for your initiated love towards us. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it but you freely give it. And so we receive it now. And as we receive that love from you, God, let us give that love away to others in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day and God bless.